Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 97. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today I'm going to be talking about IPOs. You probably heard the news that Airbnb went up a crazy amount in the first day of trading, but what does that exactly mean? They did a little more of a traditional IPO offering, and so uh, we'll talk about that, the differences between kind of the, the normal IPO or the standard one that you've seen for many years and direct listings, uh, which Bob Gurley, who's been on CNBC a number of times, has done, I think he was an early Uber investor, venture capital, but he's been a little bit outspoken about these companies leaving money on the table. And so what does that mean? So the deal with Airbnb is you probably saw, I think it was Friday. Is that Thursday or Friday? I can't remember. But they issued about over 50 million shares. And you probably heard on CNBC that the initial public offering uh, was priced at around $68 a share. And when it opened, it opened, I think, above 145. Might have been 145, 146. And, you know, it's uh, that's quite a bit of a difference. You know, just take the 146 minus the 68 and uh, what is that, 32 to 100 and then that's like uh, 78 bucks higher than the IPO is priced. So let's talk a little bit about the IPO process. So an IPO, initial public offering, as many of you know, is when a company goes from private to public. And a lot of times it's used to, to raise capital. So you raise capital and that money can theoretically go into the business. Uh, that's part of the IPO process. Uh, this is different from or it's not too different from a secondary offering, like Tesla's done a couple secondary offerings where they issued, you know, they're already trading, but then they issued additional shares to the public to raise some capital. But it's offering shares, private to public, and, you know, I won't bore you with the details, a whole bunch of sort of rules, regulations, the SEC is involved, a number of different things, company has to uh, go through, but it's, it's really about, you know, they can raise capital, but they also, it's, it's sort of a way for early investors. So you probably hear about, you know, venture capital investors, early stage. They were, you know, they could be founders, they could be employees, they could be friends of founders and employees, but they could also be professional investors who were very early. And this is one of the ways for them to get money uh, to realize a liquidation event, I meaning to get money out of their investment. And so uh, a number of, let's say, early private investment might be converted to public shares. And that's a way for them to, to sort of cash out on the company. Now, once a comp, and the, the real, so the process typically that happens is, and I'll, I'll make this very simple. So we use like Goldman Sachs, right? So Goldman Sachs is uh, one of the biggest investment banks in the world. And so somebody wants to use Goldman Sachs to go public. Goldman Sachs sets the whole thing up. And what they do is they create what's called a, a selling syndicate. And what that means is not only Goldman Sachs, but then other investment banks or brokerages, uh, they join the selling syndicate. And that's just a, a way for saying, 
they will go to big investors, go to institutions, and they're going to create interest for you know whatever company it is that's that's going public. And so you know it used to be uh, I remember this is early '90s that if you could get an IPO, you didn't want it because only the the biggest best clients of investment banks would typically get those. But um, that's generally the process. And they determine what the IPO price should be based on, upon demand. And after it starts trading, sometimes uh, you know, they encourage their investors not to liquidate. You know, so in the case, let's say, of an IPO that jumps the first day, they might have uh, a tacit agreement you know, to hold on to the stock for a while. Um, and also employees, a lot of times, there's a window where they can't uh, get rid of their shares or some, some investors have provisions. They can't sell their shares for a certain amount of time before the, you know, after the stock is trading. But um, that is different than what's called a, a direct listing. And so the two companies that come to mind are Slack. So that's Work which actually was it two weeks ago, they, uh, Salesforce uh, and them, I guess Salesforce is buying them, combination of cash and stock. You can Google that if you want. But Slack and Spotify, Spotify was the other company, are, are the two ones that come to mind that were direct listing. And direct listing doesn't go through the traditional process of using you know, an underwriting syndicate, using investment banks like Goldman Sachs or you know, J.P. Morgan or different people like that. And they basically just list the shares. And so unlike the investment banks trying to come up with the right price to IPO the stock at before it, it actually, you know, starts going public, the, uh, the direct listing, basically the share price is determined when the market opens. And so that's the other thing with a, a traditional IPO process so let's say in the example of Airbnb, the investment banks uh, priced it at $68 a share. If you got IPO shares, you got it at $68 a share, which means that you know, when it opens at $146, that's pretty exciting. Uh, it's pretty, pretty good money there. And if it's a hot IPO, you know, that, uh, that can be quite a windfall for people who got in on the IPO price. So the direct listing is a little different, though. And the direct listing basically lets the mic, uh, the market price it, and I believe it's whatever it starts trading at is what you know people and generally the the shares in a direct listing, they're you know either early investors, employees, that type of stuff. Um, that's a way for for them to cash out. So they they basically you know offer up a percentage of their shares, and they get the money. Um, and so if a company like I remember when Slack did the uh, their direct listing. They didn't, you know, they had a lot of cash on the balance sheet. I, I can't remember what it was, but they said they really didn't need to raise more cash. And that's one of the reasons why they did a, a direct listing. So there's a little bit of controversy of late with the whole, you know, direct listing versus uh, the, the traditional ways of doing it. And, you know, one of the, uh, one of the, the, the critics of that has been this guy, Bill Gurley. So you can Google Bill Gurley, but he is, uh, 
uh, I guess you would say he's, I think he was on the board of Uber and, uh, you know, he's a, a venture uh, capitalist, right? He's put seed money into companies, been an early investor, uh, a lot of Silicon Valley companies and things like that. But he, after, I think it was either Spotify or I can't remember what the company was, but he made an appearance on CNBC. And one of the things that he was critical of is the traditional IPO route. He felt that a lot of these companies should have done direct listings because they left too much money on the table. In other words, let's say you were an early investor in Airbnb and gets priced at 68. So you you cash out at 68. Uh, or the company in, in raising capital, you know, get, get $68. But if the demand was such that it actually priced in the market at 146, Bill Gurley's idea was, hey, if they would have done direct listing, they would have gotten 146, not the 68. And that was his point about leaving money on the table for investors. And I think I remember seeing an interview with him and he feels like it's not as big of a deal because if you're an early stage investor in a a company and you're selling a lot of shares, you probably just became, you know, millionaire, billionaire. Uh, So, you know, even if they left money on the table, it's still, they're still getting, you know, quite a bit of money. So he also was critical. He said it's more of a gift to, to you know, the, the investment banks. And they also, I mean, the way these work is, as I said, in the old days, I can't completely speak for it now, but in the old days, it was in order to get a good IPO, you had to be one of the best clients, wealthiest, biggest clients, institutions. And then you would get, an allotment of the IPO shares. And so this is a way for, you know, the investment banks to sort of handpick uh, who got the shares, right? Um, And then other times, and I don't think there was a green shoe provision, but the green shoe provision is, I can't remember. There's a story behind how it got its name. Uh, But the green shoe provision is where an investment bank has the option if it's oversubscribed, meaning if there's a lot of demand for the shares, they could, they could go and issue more shares above the initial allotment. They have that option. I don't think there was a green shoe from what I heard on the interviews on CNBC yesterday on Airbnb. So in doing some research before doing this podcast, one of the things I did is I looked up Bill Gurley and I looked up uh, some of the stuff that, that he was saying. And one of the things that he pointed to, there's a professor... I think it's one of the Florida schools. Um, let me just look at my notes here. Yeah, University of Florida, who basically looked at IPOs that were brought public from you know, the U.S. Uh, the large uh, investment banks, and based upon this person's data, I think they looked at it over I don't know, fifteen, twenty-year period. That uh, a lot of these deals were underpriced, like thirty percent or more underpriced. And again, what that means is you IPO, the IPO price is determined in a traditional you know, IPO and the market starts trading. And the idea is, well, if your IPO price is 68 and it opens higher than that, well, couldn't have you gotten more? And so people are leaving money on the table. But um, there's also another you know, option that you're seeing more and more, and maybe I'll do a separate podcast on that. It's the idea of a, a SPAC, S-P-A-C. Um, and that is, so if you look at, what's the one, the aerospace, where they want to fly people into space? 
uh, SpaceX, right? The uh, Virgin Galactic, is that the, yeah, I think that's the name. But uh, in that one, uh, there was a special purpose investment vehicle that was trading. And then they sort of merged with SpaceX and then rebranded the, the security as SpaceX. So it's sort of a, a different sort of way of, of IPOing called the SPAC. Um, so those are, have been in the news as well. So, but that's, that's generally, you know, the couple different processes that can, uh, that an IPO can use. There is one of the things that I encourage people to do if you're interested in this type of thing is anytime a company is going to go public, they issue what's called an, an S1, S-1. And that document is the first time that a company that's been private, that's going public, is actually going to release its, its financials. And it's also going to have things in there like special risk to the company and things like that. Um, like I remember I did an episode on on unicorn IPOs and S1s. I'll link to that episode in the show notes if you want to check that out. Uh, but you go back to the late 90s during the internet, the dot-com era, and there was a company called Pets.com that went public. And by the way, it's not, if you go to Pets.com today, that domain, I think that's Petco owns that. I could be wrong on that. But that was bought at a, at a bankruptcy auction. But Pets.com went public and I remember reading their S1. You can Google it, find it online. And, you know, they were based, this is before cloud. This is before, you know, a lot of the e-commerce stuff. They were essentially a pet store that went public. And in their S1, you know, they mentioned we're only in, I think they were somewhere in or outside San Francisco. And some of the risk of the firm they put in their S1 was, you know, we don't have earthquake insurance. So if there's an earthquake and, we could lose everything, and that would be a risk to investors. Uh, they also mentioned they had a really close partnership with, remember the search engine was go.com? I don't even know where that would go now if you punch that in. But it was kind of like Excite or Yahoo back in the day. And, you know, they said one of the risks was that, uh, that go.com doesn't, doesn't do as well as they thought. Um, or the internet, you know, people don't get comfortable ordering stuff online. I think the interesting thing is, you know, nowadays we have, what is it, uh, Chewy and, you know, there's, there's online pet stores. So why did, why do they survive now? And that one didn't, uh, there's been some papers written on that, but the S1 is a good place to start when you're looking at IPOs. By the way, just as an aside, before we sort of move on, uh, I believe next year Petco is coming public again. I think they were private, they were public and private. And I can't remember when they came public or it's been quite a while. Uh, but they're one that's expected uh, to come out. And so when you have these these different companies, a lot of times, you know, the public is, uh, is looking forward to them when Uber launched, when Lyft launched, um, was it Slack launched, Slack did the direct IPO, direct listing IPO. And by the way, not all IPOs are instant home run successes. And you tend to see some of these things in you know, tech companies or things that people use. Now, the other question is, should you go out and buy an IPO? Well, that's another story. Um, 
you know, I think it's a tough decision, especially if an IPO gets a really big first day pop. Um, and certainly, you know, one of the things that uh, used to happen in the late 90s, unfortunately, a lot of investors used to place what's called market orders, meaning just, hey, buy it, whatever the price is. And so they place a market order. And then if it gapped up or opened much higher than the, the IPO price, you'd wind up buying it. And sometimes, you know, it didn't stick there, meaning it, it, that was the highest price it saw. And unfortunately, people lost a lot of money. So if you do, you know, purchase IPOs uh, in the secondary market, especially on the first day, do not use uh, market orders, use limit orders. Uh, but it's tough. There's a few um, IPO ETFs. I think some of them, uh, I can't remember the one of the names. You can look it up. Uh, but I think they they wait a little bit. There's They wait, give it a seasoning period in the market before they, they sort of add it to its index. Um, but, you know, that whether or not IPOs will be good long-term or not, that remains to be seen. Um, I think, you know, Spotify is probably higher than its offering price. I don't think Slack is, even after the, uh, um, you know, the announced news between Salesforce and them. So I would urge caution when you're looking at IPOs. They tend to be quite volatile. Um, and getting back to the question about this whole debate about direct listing versus, you know, traditional IPOs, I think there is a lot of function for investment banks, especially if it's a company that's not quite as well known. And I remember, you know, on Wall Street in, in the early 90s, uh, they would set up what's called this due diligence meetings. And sometimes they'd be in a, in a hotel. And it was basically the, if you're working in an investment firm, you get this invite and they would present the company and present the financials and tell the story and try and drum, drum up interest in, in shares. Uh, I don't know if they still do. They used to call them due diligence or due dillies. But, um, you know, there is a function, I think, for some of these investment banks. And I would imagine that the, the process of, you know, being approved for a listing is extensive. And so, um, sure, you know, investment banks can, can offer their expertise and guidance and uh, also, quite a bit of work, you know, going through the the process, paperwork, and creating all the documents, the S one, and doing their own dil- due diligence. So, uh, but there you have it: uh, direct listings. Look up Slack. Look up Spotify. Uh, traditional. That's uh, how it's been done for a lot of years. I would urge you to Google Bill Gurley and IPOs. Uh, I found plenty of stuff where he's sort of talking about early stage investors leaving some money on the table. We talked about the green shoe provision. That's where an investment bank can sell additional shares beyond the initial allotment if it's a hot IPO or if there's a lot of demand. And remember, once, you know, until a, a stock starts trading on an exchange, um, that's when you really see the buyers and sellers determine what the price is. And so, you know, if you want to watch these things, go ahead and watch them. And, uh, you know, hopefully this sort of explains some of the stuff. I know it's been in the news. And if you enjoy the content, by the way, please share this. Uh, don't waste time rating, reviewing, and starring. And you can do all that too, which is fine. But uh, go ahead and share this with, uh, you know, someone you think might enjoy it, might find it valuable. And I'll also link to the, uh, the episode I did talking about the S1. Uh, because that really, if you're interested in this stuff, you should look up the S1s of companies. And by the way, I believe the, you know, even Google or Amazon, companies that have been public for quite some time, 
their S1s, you can still find those uh, those filings and you can see, hey, what were the risk at the time? Uh, what, what, what did they come public at? Did they even, did they have earnings at the time? Were they losing a lot of money? So you can take Tesla's another one. You can take a look at Tesla. So, all right, we'll be back for episode 98 next week. With that, have a good week.